Let me tell you why you're here. We are the God flavors of the earth, created to show the fullness of life to the world. We are the color brushed onto a plain canvas, giving contrast to the backdrop. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, standing out in the darkness. We are a lighthouse in the ocean, piercing through the storm. We are the seasoning that draws out potential. We are agents of invitation, welcoming prodigals home. We are the salt of the earth. How good was that video, right? Yeah, Charlotte, there it is. Charlotte, Daisy, Whitney, and our three interns drove four hours to the sand dunes and then four hours back just to make that, which is called devotion and an adventurous spirit, which lines up directly with the heart of God. We love you guys. Even you, Neil. Even you, bud. We love even you. Just know that. Guys, welcome to Young Adults. It's good to have you here. It's good to see all of your faces. Um, welcome to uh, week three of The Salt of the Earth, our brand new series. I've been praying hard for this night all week, and here's what I've been praying for specifically is revelations from God to us, and I'm going to explain what that means. Information is something that you get from like a sermon, and it informs you about the things of God or the things of faith, and that's a wonderful thing, but revelations is when you hear something from God and he speaks directly to your soul, oftentimes through things like words in a message. And I've been praying that that would happen tonight, that you would hear these things and it would make a trip from your head to your heart, that you would hear something and it wouldn't just be something that you now know, but it would become a part of who you are. Does that make sense? Revelation, hearing from heaven and having it transform us from the inside out because transformed people can transform the world. And that's what we need right now is a transformed world. And so would you guys join me one more time really quick? We're going to bow our heads and we're going to ask that God would do that. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for tonight. I simply ask once again, God, that you would speak to us in a way that a sermon cannot. We want to hear from heaven. We want to hear from you. We want to experience the power of your presence tonight, God. Transform us tonight. Speak to us tonight. Even though we're going to get real tonight, God, use it. Speak truth to our hearts in a healthy way, in a nourishing kind of way. God, we give you tonight and all the glory of tonight, and it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray all of these things, amen. All right, welcome to Salt of the Earth. This series is going to take us through the next three weeks all the way to the end of July up to the meetup. And basically, here, let's just read the text from the Bible that Salt of the Earth is found in, because right away, like, what? Like, we're salt? Like, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we're going to read it. If you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. This is um, the Sermon on the Mount, which is when Jesus basically stands up and gives a 30-minute sermon, and in that amount of time, he sums up, like, all of Christian living in, like, 30 minutes. I can't do that. I get credit for trying tonight. I'm just going to stick to three verses because that's all I can handle. But this is Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Here we go. This is Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. So right away, confusing. Awesome, Jesus, I'm salt. That makes sense. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
And then he switches his metaphor. Like he's not speaking literally like your literal salt, like your sodium chloride. You're a human being. He's, he's flipping the metaphor around, saying like the same thing in another way right now that makes a little bit more sense. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it, in, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so here's the first question from that. What the heck is Jesus talking about when he says salt? Like, why am I being compared to salt, Jesus? Is that like some kind of cute little metaphor where you're like pepper and I'm salt and we go well together? Is that what you're like... So what is, what, what, like, what, why salt of the earth? And so let me get, give you a little bit of context here. Back in Jesus' day, salt was actually very, very valuable and much more rare than it is today. Soldiers would actually get paid in salt, which is where we get the phrase, like, are you worth your salt, if you've ever heard that. We get our word salary from the word salt. And today, salt is mined, which is why it's much more common. But back in the day, they would get salt from the ocean, from salt water, places like the Dead Sea, a very, very salty body of water. And they would, they would harvest basically seaweed from the Dead Sea that would be covered in salt. They would take that seaweed and they would rub it all over their raw meat, like their raw filet mignon, raw, raw chicken wings, because meat goes goes rotten very, very quickly. And back in the day, no such thing, or at least they don't know about electricity yet because Ben Franklin wasn't around yet to tie the key to the kite and fly it in the storm and get shocked by and invent electricity or discover it or whatever. So no refrigerators, no freezers, giant freezers that you store in your garage in Colorado that you can fill with like the meat from like half an elk if you're a native, you know, like that, like that didn't exist yet. And so they would use salt to preserve the meat and they would rub that seaweed all over like their raw filet mignon so that they would last. And as soon as that seaweed, uh, that seaweed would lose its saltiness, it would no longer be good for anything except to be taken up to rooftops of homes, thrown down on the rooftops, and trampled underfoot to fill in all the little, to seal all the little cracks and crevices in the roof. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, as soon as that thing loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be trampled underfoot. And so salt, there's your little short little history lesson for tonight. That's all the history we're going to do. Salt, in Jesus' context, does a lot of things. It gives flavor, it stands out, it draws out the potential in things, and for the purposes of tonight, we're going to zone in on the fact that it preserves. Salt preserves things, and Jesus is calling you the salt of the earth, and then he even takes it a step further. He says, and if you lose your saltiness, Christian, if you lose your saltiness, you're no longer, quote-unquote, good for anything, which sounds kind of harsh, but that good for anything, we get that from the same Greek word that we get the word purpose, and if you lose your saltiness as a Christian, you lose your purpose. Translation, your purpose as a Christian, if you've ever wondered what it is, Jesus is going to give it to you right here. Your purpose is to remain salty. Your purpose is to preserve. Preserve what? Preserve the things of God and the Christian values of whatever culture you find yourself in. And you and I right now find ourselves in the middle of a culture that is losing its Christian values at a very, very rapid rate. Our country is kind of in turmoil right now with a lot of hatred right now. Christian values are leaving very, very quickly. And he's saying, no, 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 that's why I put you there. That's why I put you there, because where Christians are salty, a nation stays godly. Where Christians preserve the things of God in a nation, a nation stays godly, and therefore a nation stays blessed. And where Christians lose their saltiness, a nation loses its godliness. And I'm going to show you what I mean. First century in Europe, the predominant 
the predominant religion was Christianity by far. And I think even to this day, a lot of Europeans would say like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it looks very different today than it did back then, right? It looks very different today than it did back then. You can go visit old churches. Like you can, you can go with your friends on a Euro trip all around Europe and visit like some cool architecture and see some cool things and walk into old churches and old cathedrals, but nobody goes there anymore to worship. Nobody goes there anymore to experience the presence of God. You go to those cathedrals to see some cool buildings and to hear about the way God used to be a big part of their nation because the Christians in a culture that was once a godly culture lost their saltiness and therefore nations lost their godliness. I heard a pastor named John Pakluda explain Amsterdam in this way because once upon a time, the things of God and the values of Jesus were alive and well in Amsterdam and then somewhere along the road, Christians lost their saltiness and the nation or the city lost its godliness, which is why you can go to Amsterdam now, walk around the streets, you're gonna see a lot of really cool architecture and culture, meet a lot of very, very nice people, but you're also gonna feel like this weird spiritual darkness like around every corner it's like thick and tangible it's weird I don't really know how else to describe it except like you can feel like the darkness crawling on your skin around every corner in Amsterdam because that is now the spiritual climate or the spiritual condition of that city and that can also be the spiritual condition of Denver unless you do something about it that will be the spiritual condition of Denver unless we are the salt of the earth in this in this city, in the city that God had, has put us in, that will be the condition unless we take our place as the salt of Denver. And so does that make sense? That's what Jesus is getting at when he says salt of the earth. And then he, he switches it up and he talks about the light of the world. Like as Christians, you're the lights. Individually, you're the lights in a very, very, very dark world. Like if you think about a house and you think about like the architect or the designer of a house is gonna be very careful about where he places every single light, right? He's not gonna put a light like on the floor under the couch. He's gonna put lights in very, very specific places so that when all those lights are on, it maximizes the shining potential and there's not a single dark place in the house. The same thing's true with this building, with this room, whoever the engineer, light designer, I don't know, whoever that guy was who made this room, he chose very, very meticulously and carefully where to put every single light that's above you to maximize shining potential in this place so that when they're all on, there's not a single dark place in this room. And so the ceiling in here is a picture for what Jesus is saying when he says, individually, all you Christians, you're the light of the world where I've placed you carefully. Now get out there and shine. You get a picture of it on the roof. You also get a picture every night when you walk outside and you look up at the stars with each star kind of representing a Christian, a Christian that has a sphere of influence and, and shines with whatever amount of brightness against a very dark backdrop to light up the night. Like you remember the Lion King when Timon and Pumbaa were lying on the grass, looking up at the stars, having some bro time and some pillow talk. You remember the conversation? And Pumbaa, the pig's like, Timon, what do you think those sparkly dots are up there? And Timon goes, Pumbaa, I don't wonder. I know. Oh, what are they? They're fireflies. They're, they're fireflies that just got stuck up there in that, that big bluish black thing. Oh, I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away. Pumbaa, with you, everything's gas. You know that. You know what I'm talking about. I can do that entire movie. But that's for another night. 
But unlike what Timon and Pumbaa see when they look up at the stars, you can look up and you can see a metaphor for how God places his lights throughout the world. The designer, the divine engineer, very meticulous about where he places his lights, which is you and me. Not one of them is without purpose and not one of them is in the wrong place. And that's what we are. You're a light and you've been gifted in a very, very specific way and and born into a very specific time in history to be alive right now and placed in a specific geographical location location because God carefully places his lights throughout history and throughout the world, and I'll prove that to you biblically. Acts 17, verse 26, from one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the earth, and he marked out, here it is, their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. How cool is that? And that should give you, I hope, man, much more of a feeling of purpose for your life, that not only has he appointed your time in history, he's appointed your, quote, unquote, the boundaries of your lands. Translation, you're supposed to be here right now. This young adults ministry in Denver in 2016. Now, you might be doing something shortly after this where you move on and he moves you somewhere else, but right now, you're in this building and that is not a mistake. That was the the divine placement of the divine engineer, who places his lights exactly where he wants them. You might be at your specific job right now. It's probably not your dream job, probably not the career you're gonna be in for the rest of your life, but nonetheless, you're there right now because he wants you there right now. He's placed you there right now to be a light in the dark world of whatever your job might be because we are God's plan for Denver. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but you are God's plan for your coworkers. Have you ever thought that? You're God, okay, I love it. You're God's plan for your coworkers. I got called out on this by the big man a few days ago, like in a very loving, kind of sarcastic way because I receive love well that way and he knows it. Like I, I pray this prayer all the time, like God, save my friends. God, just use somebody, get their attention. Like whatever you have to do, God, save my friends, which is a great prayer to pray. But I, I, like it was one of those moments, it was a revelation kind of moment, hearing from heaven straight to your heart, not the audible voice of God, but kind of him like, hey, Knucklehead, you are my plan for your friends. You are my plan for your friends. And he's saying that to you. You are God's plan for your friends. You are the salt of the earth and maybe the only light in their world. You are God's plan for your friends. And one of the darkest, like we're all in it so we can just be honest, one of the darkest, most hardest, in my opinion, mission fields in the entire world is corporate America. Like your job at like the insurance agency that you work at or on that floor at the hospital that you work at or the people that you wait tables with or the people that you're at school with in class or the friends that you're renting that house with, like this is dark and this is hard, maybe the darkest in the world. And just to give you some context on that, I've, I've had the privilege of doing ministry in some of the, what we would call the darkest places in the world, okay? And that's not because I'm a good Christian or even good at evangelism. That's simply because you'll be amazed at some of the stuff you get to do when you're just simply, when you simply just say yes to God and you're willing because he doesn't need the qualified. He just needs people who are willing. And I've gotten, like I've met witch doctors in Haiti. I've walked through the red light districts in Amsterdam and talked about Jesus in the mountains of East Africa, and I've prayed for pimps and slaves in India, and that's dark, and that's hard. In fact, some of my friends and I set out for a year to travel and be missionaries because we wanted to live radically for a year and share the love of Jesus with the unreached around the world, and for one year, that's exactly what we did, and then we got home, and then I needed a job, so I got one, which you should do, (laughs) at the Mediterranean restaurant in Boulder. We called it the Med. And it was there that I learned one of the most challenging 
difficult lessons of my entire life. And there might not have been witch doctors and pimps running around, at least not in the open in Boulder, but at least... (laughs) At least in Haiti and at least in India, you don't have to deal with the constant stubborn apathy and nonchalance and oftentimes hatred towards Christianity that you have to deal with here because that is real and it's real and it's what we're dealing with because God has placed us here, but we are here. This is where God has put us. The God who chose the boundaries of our lands in the appointed time in history that we would live. He placed us here. And you could say, man, but you have no idea how dark my workplace is. Like, it is dark. And I would say, good. God put a light there. You. God put a light there. The restaurant game, man, is a, is a dark, dark, dark place to be. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and every single night... For like six months, I remember just having a frown on my face, constantly complaining and whining to God as to why I was no longer in ministry. Like, I gave you a year, God, of my life, and now I'm waiting tables. Like, what's the deal? And no shortage of complaints. I'm like, I hate it here, by the way. All I do is bring food to rich people who don't know how good they have it, and they complain about everything I bring them. And that's all I do. And like, God, I I hate this, by the way, just in case you're not hearing me. The only thing that's good about this is my buddy Adam that is now here who I can joke about all of our pain-in-the-butt customers with behind their back. He's the only thing that makes this worthwhile. By the way, I hate it. And then one day... Had a wake-up call, lovingly and sarcastically, again, had a nice little light spiritual slap in the face by God, seriously, and him saying, long story short, earth to the world-traveling missionary, what makes this different than India? What makes this restaurant different than Africa? Newsflash, you're not simply just here so that you can bring these customers their lamb shanks on time with a smile. You're here because I thought you were a missionary. You're here because Jesus cares about his lost sheep. You're here because, like it or not, right now, you're the lead pastor of this restaurant. You're here for Adam. You're here for all your other coworkers because Adam is spending eternity in either heaven or hell. And you know something that he needs to know. You have a gift to share. You have the best news in the world. And right now, you're punting on that responsibility and on that opportunity. You're here because you are my plan for the Mediterranean restaurant in Boulder, at least for this year. That's why you are here. This is your purpose. And this is your purpose too, beyond your job or within your job, beyond your career and your family or within your career and your family. This is your purpose. This is what you're still alive for. You've been saved for this, and if you're still on this earth and God has not taken you home yet, it's for this reason right here. There's a a Christian um, group called the Lifeway Research Group. They released a study. Sorry. I'm like working on how to drink more quickly while speaking, and I just can't figure it out. But (laughs) there's a a group called Lifeway Research Group, and they released a study that said 80% of Christians do not believe it is their responsibility to to share their faith. And I'm thinking, translation, 20% of Christians aren't really Christians. And there was another study that came out that said 60% of Christians, only 60% have shared their faith with somebody in the last year. And I'm thinking, okay, 40% of Christians aren't 
acting like Christians. Like, and imagine getting to heaven and meeting the Apostle Paul, the golden boy of Christianity, the most radical Christian who's ever lived, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, just crazy. Imagine getting to heaven and sitting down for a cup of coffee with the Apostle Paul and explaining to him why you didn't share your faith with the people at work. He would be like, oh, talk to me, man. I get it. They flogged you and beat you, didn't they? And you're like, no, didn't do that. They threw you in jail, didn't they? I know, it happened to me too. No, Paul, no jail time. They tried to have you killed, didn't they? I get it, happened to me two, three thousand times. No, Paul, no floggings, no beatings, no jail time, no attempted murders, none of that. Well, then what? Like, talk to me. What kept you from, why didn't you just talk to them about the most important thing in your life? I don't know. Like, this would have been awkward, I guess. What? So you didn't, you didn't share your faith? You didn't share the greatest eternity-changing news because you thought it would be an awkward conversation with these people that you know. Like in the most nicest way possible, Paul would be like, are you freaking kidding me? That's why you didn't open your mouth and share your faith? Like here was Paul, the Apostle Paul's approach to being a light in his world and the salt of the earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. Though I am free, I belong to nobody. I have made myself a slave to win everybody. That's his life. I've made myself a slave to win everybody, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those who are not under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And Paul is saying here, he's like, hey, to have an impact on the people, you gotta be in there with the people. You gotta go where they go. Paul would say, do everything that you can short of sin, to fit in with the people around you and then do what you can to stand out like a light and make them look at you and wonder what it is about you that they don't have. Make them wonder, why are you so joyful and full of life all the time? Why are you so peaceful in a time that does not warrant peace? Make them wonder what it is that they don't have about you. And he said, be smart about it. Like to the Jews, Paul said, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews, which is kind of a funny ministry approach in my opinion. I heard Francis Chan joke about it this way. He said, hey, I'm going to be smart. If I'm trying to win the Jews and I go to a Jewish party, I'm going to do what they do. I'm not going to show up with like a pork chop and a bag of bacon and say, what's up guys? I'm at the party. Let's do like, I'm not going to, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to stop at Einstein's and pick up a few dozen bagels and then show up to the party. I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to get in their world. I'm going to fit in. I'm going to work hard at being social. And then I'm going to stand out, and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to practice the simple art of looking another human being in the eyes and having an honest conversation about, like, about my faith with them. If Christians really did that with the amount of us that there are, everybody would know about Jesus. Everybody would. Like when I walked down, I remember last summer walking down 16th Street Mall in Denver and thinking every single person that is walking past me right now, like... So many of them have no idea what actual Christianity really is. Like if we asked all of them, we'd get a thousand different answers. Probably the most predominant one would be like, oh, it's like it's a religion. It's some kind of outdated, archaic religion. 
that makes people boring or stuck up. That's what most people would say. And they have no idea the truth that this is actually life and freedom found in a relationship with your creator. Most of them have no clue that that's what this is. And the frustrating thing about that is that every single one of those people that you pass works with or is roommates with a Christian. That Christian who is in their world and has every opportunity to just have that conversation and just be real about the most important things in their lives. And way more often than not, that Christian says absolutely nothing. And Paul is going, what? Like nothing at all? You're in their world. Like your pastor can't be on the eighth floor of Northwestern Mutual where you work every day. Like God put you there. Like Jesse can't come to your house and leave a, lead a Bible study with your roommates. God put you there for that reason as a light. Charles Spurgeon once said this, and this is kind of convicting. As a Christian, you're either a missionary or you're a mission field. As a Christian, you're either a missionary or you need one. Missionaries aren't super Christians that we send overseas. Missionaries are simply Christians on a mission. Christians with a purpose, which according to Jesus should be all Christians, not just 80%, not just 60%. Your story should find its place in his story. Let your dreams find their place in his dreams, your hopes in his hopes, your mission in your life find its place in the mission that he started and then left to us to share the gospel, to to be agents of invitation, to welcome people home, to welcome prodigals home, to make heaven more crowded, to preserve what Jesus stands for as the salt of the earth and shine like lights wherever he has placed us. You're either a missionary or you need a missionary. Do you preserve the things of God or do you not? Do you try and shine like a light in a dark world or do you not? This has been like the most convicting week I've ever had, by the way. When your non-Christian friends look at you, do you make them wonder? Do you stand out or do you fit in perfectly in every way with them? And so... uh, This is the part that I was like fighting with God all week on whether or not to, to go for, and he, he won, like he usually does. And, and um, it's this idea that, that Christianity, man, this is not a game. Being the salt of the earth, being the light in our friends' worlds, in our families, in our, at our workplace, being a light there, when a divine engineer carefully placed you there, it's, this is not like a game. Heaven is real, and, and so is hell. And I was walking you know, up and down all the rows in this place this morning just thinking about that and thinking about the reality of hell. And I came across this quote from this book, The Christian Atheist by Craig Rochelle. And it like just about wrecked me because I'm reading it and I'm thinking of some specific friends that I have in mind while I'm reading this. And this is gonna be sobering. Um, But that's a wonderful thing to be sobered up to the reality of eternity as the body of Christ is a wonderful, wonderful thing. For those who don't understand hell, it's easy to joke around. If I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna go to hell, at least there's gonna be some company there. I'll hang out with my buddies and have some fun. But that could not be farther from the truth. In hell, there will be complete separation from God and from people. How do you punish the worst of criminals? You put them in solitary confinement and isolate them. Imagine the physical pain of endless suffering, the emotional void of hurting without anybody to comfort you, and the knowledge that you'll suffer alone with no relief coming, ever. 
And I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, man. Like, this is real. And if you're here tonight and you're, you're like here for the first time or you're, you're not really bought into the things of God quite yet, like, I don't think that God put this on my heart like to share with you. I think it's for all of, I think it's for the sake of our friends who are not here. I think that's why it's been on my heart. And, and just so you know, Christianity is not fear-based. It's 100% love-based, but love by definition is both grace and truth, the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the truth and the reality of things like hell. That can sometimes put a damper on the night, but maybe sometimes that's a good thing to sober us up to some realities, to get us to, the bad news oftentimes gets us to fix our eyes on the good news, if you know what I mean. The bad news sometimes, and Ben, you guys can, can get back out here, the bad news sometimes gets us to fix our eyes on the good things, and I know nowadays it's very, very unpopular to talk about hell, especially in church, like among Christians, and a lot like some Christian teachers will now say like, like a loving God is not gonna send people to hell. Like you really think a good God would do something like that? Like they'll tell people exactly what their itching ears want to hear. Like you really think a good God is going to do that? Like eternity is gonna work itself out, bro. Relax, take a chill pill. Like if anything, it's figurative. I mean, who doesn't go through seasons of hell on earth? That's what he's talking about. And I promise you back in the days of Noah, there were guys who thought no, Noah was absolutely out of his mind, like, oh, a literal flood, huh, Noah? You really think, are you really that stupid that you believe God is actually going to do that? If anything, it's figurative. I mean, who isn't flooded with problems in this day and age? Noah, have fun building your boat, bro. What happened? The skies opened, water came down. Everybody was killed except for Noah and his family promise you the same thing was true with Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, really, Lot? Literal fire falling from the sky to destroy everything? You're that stupid? You actually believe that? What happened? Okay, Moses, the firstborn of every family in Egypt tonight. Okay, take a chill pill, Moses. Here's the sobering observation about the pattern of God. He doesn't bluff. doesn't bluff. Eternity is real and there's two possible destinations that every single person in the world, ourselves included, are constantly standing on the brink of. David says, you're you're a mist here today and gone tomorrow. We're going to be out of here before we even know it. Before we even know it. This is real, man. Christianity is not a game. This, and, and, and I know that God is sovereign over all things and salvation belongs to God. In case you don't know that, it is not on your shoulders or your responsibility to save your friends because you can't save your friends. God and God alone can do that. And he, he's in control somewhere out beyond all the things that we don't know yet. He's got all the math figured out. But for some reason, he's decided that the plan for your friends is you. And the plan for your coworkers and your family is you. We are not agents of salvation, to quote Connor, but we are agents of invitation. As salt of the earth, we are agents of preservation. We are agents of introduction to introduce our friends to the one who can save them, to Jesus Christ, the one that we're all in here tonight for. You know, Jesus, the Great Commission, the end of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I think it was. This won't be up on the screen, but the last thing that Jesus said, in case you don't know it, I think the verse starts, Jesus came to them and said, which is already crazy given the fact that just a few days before that he was dead, and now he's coming to them and saying something. 
that all authority in heaven and on earth is his. Therefore, whatever comes after that, we do. That's just fair. When you conquer death, you get that kind of authority. And he says, man, go be salt. Go be light. Go talk to your friends about me. Go be salt, go be light. Go talk to your friends about me. This is your purpose for being alive. Lose your saltiness, lose your purpose. Use your saltiness, you become useless to God. This is your purpose. Step into your purpose and you'll be amazed at how your life just starts to come alive with spiritual color everywhere that you go. I was having coffee with my good buddy Keaton at Whole Foods last Friday. Keaton's like one of the smartest guys that I know. By far the nerdiest crossfitter who exists right now on the planet, I think. And Keaton, like he reads like a new theology book every single week. And um, he talked to me and said something that really resonated and convicted me because he said, man, I just feel so apathetic towards the things of God recently. Like people raise their hands to accept Christ on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning. And I go, that's really cool. And I know that's a good thing, but for some reason, I just don't like feel the way I know I should feel when I see somebody's eternity completely changing. Like I'm dry. Why am I so dry? And I said, bro, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm a pastor and I feel those things all the time. And I kid you not, for the next five minutes, we, we, tried, it, we tried to think about, okay, what, what's the next Christian book that we can go buy from Barnes and Nobles to read that's going to fix this problem for us? What's the next book that's going to do it? What's the next podcast or sermon that I can go that's going to give me an emotional stirring where I'm going to be excited about my faith for another couple of hours? What's going to do it? And it felt like a, one of those revelations, God speaking in, 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 in a loving way, just posing this question, not just for me, not just for Keaton, but for every single one of us. Have you tried the Great Commission recently? Take this question. Have you tried the Great Commission recently? Your purpose for being alive, that every other purpose, every other thing that you do falls beneath the umbrella of. Have you tried the Great Commission recently? Have you tried to be salt? Have you tried to be light? Have you tried to sit down with somebody and talk to them about Jesus? Man, are you feeling apathetic about your faith? Have you tried the Great Commission recently? Are you feeling anxious and maybe depressed at times and just kind of stuck? Have you tried the Great Commission recently? You'll be so amazed at how you start to come alive when you step into the purpose that you are put on this planet for. You'll be, you'll, you'll be shocked at how you experience the presence of God. Because what does Jesus say at the end of the Great Commission? He says, go be salt, go be light. Talk to people about me to the ends of the earth and to the very end of the age. As you do that, I'll be with you because you'll actually need me. And not that you don't need God when you read the latest Judas Smith book or Carl Lentz sermon and you listen to that, that stuff's very, very important also. But man, when you actually require your faith because you stepped out of the boat and you're like, like, here's what, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna say amen and we're gonna sing some songs and I'm gonna get off stage and I'm going to worship and I'm gonna proclaim some truth to God because I know that he's worthy whether I feel it or not. But deep down, I'll be wanting to feel it and I'll have my hands in the air being like, oh, I think that was the spirit, I think. Like, I think that was him. I think that was it, and it probably is. 
but you just wait until you ask one of your coworkers if they wanna grab Chipotle with you over lunch. And as you're sitting across the table from them, freaked out, handshaking, clammy hands, because you're about to ask them if they believe in God and see if there's an opportunity for, them to, for you to tell them about Jesus. And you'll be amazed at how you experience the presence of God. In that moment when you actually need the Spirit to show up and do what only the Spirit can do, you'll be amazed at how, 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 how much you come to life when you step into that kind of purpose where you're like, I'm not just talking about it. I'm not just sitting in church again. I'm doing this right now. I'm out being a light in my world that God has carefully placed me in. I, like, this is real. I'm opening my mouth. Do you believe in God? Can I tell you about Jesus? You'll be amazed at how you experience the presence of God. Are you stuck? Are you apathetic? Are you dry? Do you want more of him? Have you tried the Great Commission recently? So here's what we're gonna do. Um, the band is gonna play a song, Hosanna, I think. And um, you don't have to stand up. This is more of a response time. Stand up if you want, worship if you want, sit down, pray if you want. But, but here's what we're gonna do tonight. We have, we have these little things of fabric up here in permanent markers and this rope right here. And, and here's what the point of this is. The point of this as a series that's leading up to the meetup and is all about being the salt of the earth and the light in the, in the places that God has placed us and praying for our friends and then inviting our friends as agents of invitation. If you have anybody that you know the spirit of God has been putting on your heart, I bet a lot of you have names in your head. I have names in my head right now. And if you don't, ask him. If you ask he will answer that, especially if you ask for somebody to pray for and invite to church so that they can meet Jesus. That's a prayer God is gonna answer. And so if you have somebody during this time, during worship at any point, I challenge you to get up out of your chair, come up here, grab a marker and grab one of these. Use the stage, use the table, use whatever you want and just write down a name. Respond to what's happening in here by doing something come write down a name so that you'll remember to pray for this person and so we can collectively pray for the names that are going to be tied to this rope and once you write a name on one of these things just come up to this rope and there'll be you'll see it's cut right up there so you can just simply tie it onto the rope it's going to look really cool <laughs> going to look really really cool but it stands for something eternal it stands for something eternal and what we're doing is this is just a person that I'm going to pray for, and then I'm going to just, I'm going to invite them to the meetup Tuesday night, July 26, 6 p.m. at Clement Park, and I'm going to pray that they meet the creator of the universe there. Like, this is an easy one, guys. Like, this is, hey, you want to come to a party at the park on a nice summer night with food trucks and fashion trucks and games and giant beach balls and awesome music and probably a good romantic sunset? And then even Andrew Matrone getting up and just very honestly and very simply giving a message about this is who Jesus is to whoever you bring to the park. Like you don't, even, you don't even have to be the one to explain the gospel to them. You just have to invite them. I will say this though, you know more than you think you know and you're more equipped to share the gospel than you think you are. You're more ready for this and probably more good at this than you think you are. God has equipped you. God has qualified you with everything that you need because what do you need to know? You don't need to know all the ins and outs of 
theology and how salvation works. Like the blind man, I think John chapter eight, when Jesus heals the blind man who had been blind his entire life and then he could suddenly see and he went about his new life until the Pharisees stopped him and said, what happened to you? You're no longer blind. Who did this? How did they do this? How does it work? And he said, I I don't know how it works. I can't explain to you all the intricacies of this. All I know is I used to be blind and now I can see and that Jesus guy had everything to do with it. And for you, you you might not know everything about the Bible or about theology, but you know my life used to be like this and now my life is like this. Now my life is so much better and that Jesus guy had everything to do with it. So why don't you just come show up and see for yourself? You don't need to be a pro. You are more qualified than you think. You are the salt of the earth, an agent of preservation to preserve the things of God and the Christian values and the culture that you've been placed. You are God's plan for your coworkers. You are God's plan for your friends. You are the lead pastor of wherever you find yourself at work. Are a Christian on a mission and you know more than you think you do because you know it used to be this and now it's this and Jesus is the reason we are God's plan for Denver because when a nation has Christians that lose its saltiness that nation loses its godliness and that's not going to happen not on our watch not in this city So I'm going to say a quick prayer. We're going to go into a response time. Feel free to worship. And I challenge you, come up here, write a name down, and tie it to this rope so that we can be praying that God would intervene and meet our friends and change their lives from the inside out for the better on July 26th. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness. I know I've been reminded all day of the reality of hell. And I know sometimes we can get like mad at you that that even is a reality, but God, the reality of it is that sin, the punishment for sin is hell. And so as a bunch of sinners, that's what we deserve. And I am so grateful that you are not giving us what we deserve. I'm so grateful that you did the impossible, you did the unthinkable. And not only that, but now you're inviting us into this plan as agents of invitation We are your plan for the city. And I pray that during worship, this would be solidified in hearts. Give us revelation. Don't just let this be information that we now know. Let let this be a revelation that transforms us from the inside out so that we can do something about this world. So that we can be the salt of the earth and the light. And wherever, wherever it is that you so carefully placed us. We love you so much, and I just pray that you would give us names, you would give us faces, you would give us people, you would give us friends and family members and co-workers and roommates right now. We know something they need to know. Give us the boldness to tell them. We love you so much and pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.